wanted to start off in the final prophecy, uh, and anybody that follows along there on, on RestoreGospel.com, uh, we'll, we'll have a link, of course, every show. The beginning, the foundation, I should say. Uh, so there's a before you begin, then we have the foundation. And we go into the foundation, and here is the beginning. Corey, if the gospel is to be relevant, we have to understand, like we said, that in order for there to be good news, there must be some bad news, right? Yeah, yeah the bad news being we were separated from God, and somehow we, we think this life is okay. He's been telling us all along, you don't, you don't know how much you need eternal life because you also don't know how bad eternal right. death is, eternal separation. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. We were in the Smoky Mountains uh, a couple weeks ago. Kristen just found out she lost her job. We had already booked a hotel. It was already paid for. We said, you know what, let's just take off. So we did. We had a great, a great getaway. Uh, you ever been to Branson and been in bumper-to-bumper traffic, like <laughs> trying to get, That's like. That's why I haven't been to Branson in 20 years yet. <laughs> it's like, you want to go five miles, you know, to get to the pizza place, and uh, and you just, like, map out half your afternoon because you know it's going to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> Man, we got to Pigeon Forge, and it was like that. It was just bumper-to-bumper traffic. And I was like, what? It was never like that when we were there before. Mm -hmm. But they said it was the busiest time that they've ever had in that park. And I don't know if it's just its location um, and that people had been trapped in and maybe things were starting to open up and everybody just thought, well, that'll be a safe way to get away in the mountains. But it was just people everywhere. So you know how much I love to walk, Corey. It's my favorite exercise. (laughs) We were going on a hike, and it was along this river, and it was pretty, and it was beautiful, but, you know, after an hour of kind of, even if you're in the trees and you're looking at the river, I am just bored out of my mind. I'm just, and it wasn't up and down. It was just this kind of this flat hike, and so I'm walking, and I'm like, we've got 45 minutes to get back to the car, and so I thought, I'm just going to start preaching a sermon in my head, mm. and so I picked a topic, and I just started thinking, what would I tell someone? And I wish I could record these inner sermons because they seem to flow so well and it's so <laughs> peaceful. But if I was standing in front of a bunch of people, I would probably, I would be tongue-tied and get lost in my thoughts. So anyway, I thought, uh, what would I tell people about the relevancy of the gospel? And I had this thought, the gospel uh, is the good news that we are saved, that Christ has the power to save our souls and to bring us into eternity to live with him forever, that this the great working glory of our creator to bring us into immortality and eternal life with him. And I thought if that's the case and if it's truly good news like it was to Alma and like it was to Paul, then the gospel also has to bring us to a point that we are living in the midst of bad news. Mm. Otherwise, it's... If 
I mean, I, and I had this thought of like a boy that was just loved on by his mom, and he was loved on by his mom so much that that she made him his birthday cake when he was younger, and he loved it so much, you know, that the next day she baked him a birthday cake again, and the next day she baked him a cake, and this boy had cake every single day, and then so when his birthday came around again. Uh, she says, like, happy birthday. Here's your birthday cake. And he was like, okay, what's what's so good about that? Like, every day has been great. I've had cake every day. And it's not a, it's not like this great good news, right? But if he was eating spinach every day and all of a sudden he got birthday cake, it would be like, whoa, <laughs> this is pretty good. So I was thinking we are so good at making every day good for ourselves, you know, and there's so many things we can do with that we can do that with in this world today that we can have birthday cake every day and we can, we can have the good things of life. And so when things start to get bad, maybe that helps us appreciate, but, but my point is how do we get to the point that we realize how, like, like, like uh, King Lamoni says, I'd give up all my sins to know you. How do we get to that point, Corey, when we are dulling our senses and we're just, um, treading water and biding time and doing whatever we can to make each life, each day here on this on this ball of earth so good. You know what I mean? How do we get to the point that we realize we are sinners and we're enemies to God and we're fallen from him and there's a big work that has to go on in our heart and we we can delay that work every day by just feeding our fleshly funny bones, you know, having funsies and doing whatever we want to do. To And I do it. I try to look forward to something every day and have something in my life that keeps me going, whether it's cooking a rack of ribs or watching some show on TV or, you know, anything, a drive in the country even, you know. Does any of that make sense or, mm-hmm. or resound with you? Or yeah, yeah, if not, totally. I'm fine. I'm but I'm, I'm, I'm still stuck on how you can't enjoy walking. I love walking. <laughs> <laughs> because this is my, uh, I talked to this uh, wise counselor and she says, you have a very low threshold for boredom. And I, I just, uh, I'm like, I think you just summed me up better than anybody. Uh, <laughs> now, because I can ride a bike because the scenery changes every couple of minutes, uh, but I can walk and look at the same stinking tree for like 20 minutes because I'm walking like three miles. <laughs> an hour you know so it's like i just uh i just find it boring really you know for me i i walk um if i if i do my regular walk it's about a four mile loop and it's like i'm never thinking about walking because my mind instantly goes other well, places okay so that's what i meant when i was so i dra- walking back right. to the car i started doing that in my head and i can't even tell you what went on? The next thing I know, I'm at the car, and exactly. I had just been thinking for. So I thought that's how I got to incorporate. Like this is a meditation time. Exactly. You know, it's funny because you know my wife is a is an accomplished distance runner now, and that came late in life when she discovered she loved it. But she always describes her running time as her prayer and meditation time. And I I early on thought now this is a little bit of a side point. How could you ever pray and meditate when you're doing something so excruciating as running? And and so I kind of got, you know, when I was young, yeah, on track and all that stuff. But in midlife, all this stuff, didn't do anything. And a few years ago, I thought if I'm ever going to see my wife again, I'm going to have to start running. And so I, I would go out on this little loop by myself. And all I could think about was every step, every step I took. And it's like I couldn't think about anything else. It was... But after about six months of that, forcing myself to just kind of go, and it was walking with a little running, then it was a little more running, a little less walking. And then at some point in time, I was able to kind of run this whole little two-mile loop there and on trail. 
one day I realized when I'd finished that run, slow, but I'd finished, I never thought about the running, the steps, the painful part that had been with me the whole time. And at that point in time, I realized something changed and something changed. And, and all of a sudden, my running and I had been bike riding and whatnot before um, and even swimming because we were doing this, these triathlon events. So we we're doing all three uh, disciplines. All of it became time where I realized my mind started flowing in like fourth gear with thoughts, sermons, like you said, uh, ideas. And it became an inspirational time. And I looked forward to it, to that element of it more than any other part of it. You know, it didn't matter if my heart was racing or whatever. I was like, my mind was able to detach and go someplace else. So I love what you said about all of a sudden you're at the car and then didn't even realize, how did I get here? Because your mind went somewhere else. Yeah, that's cool. And that's, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a parallel to that in this life. If we have that walk with, with Jesus, even in the midst of all the bad news and everything going on, you know, you can still engage with him and he can bring peace regardless of the circumstances and the surroundings. I was going to tell you, as you were mentioning, how the, there was a moment of pain and there was a, a season of pain and everything, and that was pretty much all you could focus on. Um, I remember you telling one time talking about the resistance and physical training and and that wall you hit and how um, there's a parallel in the spiritual world as we try to exercise, mm-hmm. uh, you know, faith in just one simple thing, such as you know, pray for your enemies. And then, so the next time someone makes you mad and hurts you, it's like, ah, and it's like that. It's almost like that painful walking. Right. It's like that painful praying. Like my heart is not in this. And it's like I, the, the first time you run and you haven't run for years and all of a sudden your chest is just about to explode out of your body and you've only taken about 20 steps. Right. Yeah, that's what it is. So yeah. So that first time you're praying for that person that hurt you, you know, your heart's not in it and you're, you're, you're considering, does this even matter? Cause I really, I'm still angry, but I'm trying to pray for him. And then I wonder over time, is it like, Lord, I really want to feel this inside, you know? And is it like that same spiritual plot, you know, spiritual parallel to the, there's a resistance at first. And then all of a sudden it becomes second nature to you and you're yeah. able to be free. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because about a year ago, um, I was in the midst of a project with a project manager who was literally the most abrasive personality probably of people I've worked with. And I work with a variety of people, but, um, you know, in that time, it's like, I found someone who I felt like it was just so distasteful. It's like, I didn't want to be around the guy, let alone pray for him. And I remember feeling like, no, I need to pray for him. And in this year that's transpired now, um, this guy's become like a best friend and he still has some of his abrasion, but it's, it's not like, I, I needed something to change for me, but I realized that there's been a, a letting down of his guard. And I feel like maybe what prayer did was make me not feel so on edge every time he was abrasive so that maybe that was some defense thing of his he had to do. But the point is I've got a friend now that I didn't have before. And it was a person who I wanted to turn away. And I pray for this person now and with genuine sincerity. And I couldn't do that at first. I really couldn't. Yeah, changed your yeah. changed me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. By continuing to think, no, this is what God wants. Yeah, He wants me to pray for this change. Maybe I needed the change more than He, this other guy. Well, I hope that maybe just walking will will <laughs> uh, become a, a meditation for me. Maybe I'll, I'll learn to enjoy it more. But in the meantime, I've learned a game called pickleball, which is much more fun, <laughs> much more fun exercise for me. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you.
Corey, if the gospel is to be relevant, we have to understand, like we said, that in order for there to be good news, there must be some bad news, right? Yeah, yeah the bad news being we were separated from God, and somehow we, we think this life is okay, that he's been telling us all along, you don't, you don't know how much you need eternal life because you also don't know how bad eternal right. death is, eternal separation. You know, my wife just started reading a book that I know you have read, Corey, and I know I have read called The Heavenly Man mm. about a Chinese um, Christian that, that came to know Christ and his, it was Chinese, right? He was Chinese. Mm-hmm. His missionary efforts, his lifelong journey in trying to share the gospel and also his lifelong suffering and the cost he paid because of sharing Jesus with other people. I look at a person like that who is in prison and just, I think at one time said he could see bugs underneath his skin because of the, because of the things he had to eat. You know, I mean, it was just the most wretched of human conditions. You know, we think of the Jews and the Holocaust and, and, and the pictures we see, Here's this man in prison. To him, I believe the gospel being good news is is such a uh, is so black and white from his circumstances, right? Oh yeah, it, he needs good news now. And I hate to even compare this, but just recently, you know, with with COVID and civil unrest and all of the sad things going on, in moments you can almost see the need. For the gospel. And doesn't that sound bad? It's like, oh, finally, I see that, yeah, maybe maybe we really need the gospel. But when everything's going good, it's like, oh, do we really? Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and I don't I don't mean that I mean that from the deep part of my heart, but I your understand. brain sometimes forgets. Right, you become comfortable, you know. <laughs> All I need is a little pay increase and everything. Will be yeah, 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 yeah. You know, a little cheese dip at the Mexican yeah, restaurant right, and I'm back right. on track. Yeah, so, exactly. but, but, but seriously, we have not grown up in these terrible conditions. Now, we, we may very well be heading for worse and worse conditions, which, which may end up being far worse because we've had it so good for so long. But when exactly. you're born into a bad situation, you don't, you don't know the other side, not to belittle what you're going through. But this man, this man went through all kinds of things. So for people that are suffering, the gospel is great news. For people that are prosperous, how does the gospel do its job in bringing us to know that we need a Savior? Isn't it interesting that when Ammon and Aaron are preaching in the Book of Mormon, that the two people they're witnessing to are, you know, King Lamoni's son and King Lamoni, the kings, though, the guys who had the ownership of the kingdom, however large that was. And it's interesting because, you know, we we obviously know that the masses change, but it's interesting that we get these stories of the prominent people who are likely the wealthiest, the the, likely the guys who by their word, someone could live or die, you know, at their whim and, and who had in their own world, uh, every control at their hand. Yeah. If if we say like, Today, they that would be the one on you know their face would be on People magazine and Time magazine right, and, right, and right. Forbes five hundred and yeah, right the, yeah. the interviews on Good Morning America all these mm-hmm. th- people because they're people that in their day and culture they were of influence to others and and some people wanted to emulate them some people wanted to know with a secret to their success all this stuff but it's interesting that these people were the ones that in the and they were in the Lamanite kingdom too 
who who fell on their knees and said, "I'll give away all my sin to know you." And this um, this is important that we recognize that the power of the gospel uh, it, it's God's work that that has to change everyone's heart, and that no matter what our station in life is, we're all we're all called to this change. And that's God's work and the gospel, and we our job is to learn that gospel and let the gospel do the work and for us to quit trying to do the work. Our work is to learn the word of God, allow it to change us, take that word to other people, allow it to change them Mm -hmm. and quit trying to change them yourself with your own story of. Right. Uh, And sometimes our story has been circumstances. You know, I've, I've seen people who were kind of brought into the church through missionary efforts that compelled people because, you know, yeah, the message of time is short is, is probably appropriate at any time. People were saying the time is short, you know, in Jesus day as well. But the, the, and I, and I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying that, um, you've, you've always got to bring it back to not just circumstances, not just like bad things are coming. So you got to do this. You, you got to bring it back to the eternal principles. No, we, we yes. have no means within ourselves to come back to God's presence. Yes. Yes. This is the path. This is the calling. This is this is the guidance He gives us. This is the straight and narrow, and this is why it's important. Um, but but that's the thing we have to bring it back to the eternal principles. One of the things about this final prophecy that uh, I think, and again, I, it's funny that the name when I was putting these notes together, I was really just not even sure if it needed a title. And at first, I was just kind of calling it the prophecy because it, it it was a prophecy. And then I thought, well, final prophecy, because this is how everything ends. This is this is taking all the prophecies from the beginning through time and realizing there's a common theme of God wanting to bring humanity back to him. That's that's what it's all about. The, this prophecy's been there since the beginning, is that man who is cast out of God's presence is going to return to God's presence for all whose hearts change. And and that's, that's the finality of it. Well, then once I put that title on there, I searched on the internet and found out there's like a Star Wars episode or something or chapter called the final prophecy and there's some other stuff out on the internet called the final prophecy <laughs> none of that influenced the title but nevertheless there's some competition for the title i guess i did notice all the star Wars posters in your room when we used <laughs> to record it sure. now it's coming together yeah right uh, yeah we won so this um well let's read let's read this scripture from revelation 21 3 Man was in the presence of God in eternity before life upon this earth. This is this is your comment. Uh, the purpose of this life is for man to return to the presence of God. And the final prophecy describes how the world eventually returns to Jesus Christ. So Revelation 21.3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. We talk about temples, and one of our listeners asked about temples, but in the very end, there is God himself comes to dwell with us. He is, he is the tabernacle is everywhere, him with us, us with him. His presence is, is just interwoven into us. What do you think that scripture there? That that's yeah. You know, since the beginning, God's been telling us the end, and this is how it ends: is that you know we dwell in God's presence again. Heaven, which has been separated from us in a spiritual sense, uh, we don't understand the physical side, but it 
it all becomes one again and it always was one. Um, but we don't recognize that, that oneness. I, I just read something this morning before I came over here and it's not in the final prophecy, but I, I've been searching, um, plays on words and you wouldn't think the, the scriptures would have word plays. And I'm, I'm not suggesting like for the purpose of just being like making a pun or being cute. Um, but there are times <clears throat> just like in the English language where, uh, words would be, um, used to, to effectively, um, uh, convey something by the by the significance of the words themselves, and so what I found is that there are words that in the English translation don't have any bearing on each other, but in the Hebrew, if you understand the Hebrew, you find some very important significance. Well, one of these comes back to the Genesis story, the word light, um, and and the word skin, believe mm-hmm. it or not, have the same Hebrew root and in the early part of Genesis where they were talked where it talks about they were God clothed them with skins um, there's a there's a double meaning there too because when they were with God before their sin their their clothing was his light and it's the same word as the skin that they were clothed on with when they left the garden mm. but the point is this they they lost the light that they had. They lost the eternal glory of God that surrounded them, right? And now they were left with only the glory of the flesh. Mm-hmm. And and this is really, really important that we realize this is our story, is that <laughs> our story starts in the fleshly state. We have no idea what we lost. We have no idea what we were. Which, which that's a, I didn't know that. So they were clothed with the light of God. Yeah. Same word, but different. Same words would have different meanings. So, right, so right. the Hebrew the action is being surrounded by, to yeah, be clothed, to right. be enveloped by. And now, as they sin, they realize nakedness. There, they have to now be covered and enveloped by animal skin, which 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 is something which of the earth. needed to be, which needed to be killed, which had to have blood shed in order <laughs> to be enveloped and covered by. Exactly, and so. In order to be covered and enveloped by the light of God again, there had to be bloodshed, but an eternal. See, those lessons have been taught from the beginning, and that's you know, <laughs> and, and especially the Jews. No one understands better than the Jews that there there was not forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Um, but uh, wow, what, what what it's interesting that on all levels, you know, and I, I'm not saying people have to go out and understand Hebrew, and I because I don't, I know about three words, but. The, the point is that there's deeper meanings and parallels on all this stuff. And the fact is we are starting our story, this journey in this world, in, in the middle of the plan where we don't understand when we were with God in a spiritual sense. We're, we're just separated from him. And it's so important to him that we return, that all this plan is to allow us the full opportunity to return to his presence, anyone who will. And anyone who doesn't, if your sin isn't removed, you can't be with him. Um, so, and, and without saying it, but I'm, I'm going to say it, Mike, because, Hey, it's just you and me talking, right. The way we always <laughs> do. Um, if without using direct words like this saying, and I want to show people in the restoration where we've been wrong. I, I think the final prophecy is sort of an, an intent to not state, Hey, we've been wrong about things, but it's to show where we need to be right. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's the point because, we're, we're, we're telling our own story sometimes in terms of the last days and the latter days, and we're not, and we're leaving out too many important parts of the story, and they're in the scripture, 
And so what I was hoping with this is that it could give people a guide to start studying what is it that we've been missing and what is the actual story. Um, and I'll be up front, you know, we tell a story that puts kind of us in the restoration as the center of the universe and kind of the end of the universe and everything kind of comes through us in the end. And it's like the scriptures have a place and a part that we play, but that we're not the end of the story. And there's more there. It's, it's important. And it's all been part of God's plan from the beginning. We've just sort of been selectively reading certain parts that we mm-hmm. think apply to us. Well, one of the great things we, we talk about the gospel, the word having power, our job is to know that word and present that word to the world, to mm-hmm. those that are suffering and fallen. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think about like when you, uh, you talked about the YouTube video where you know the lady was screaming at the guy, and how can I? And we say, how can a just God allow, uh, you know, bad things to happen? And how can a loving God allow all of this pain? And um, and here's the word. Let's go back to the word and yeah. what it says. Right at the beginning, it says, "Well, because Satan came upon the children of men and tempted them to worship him, and men have become carnal, sensual." and devilish and are shut out from the presence of God. Yes. So how can a loving God allow bad things to happen? It's because we are not we are not following a loving God. We are carnal, sensual, and devilish. You know, one of the guys asked uh, one of the questions in the Bible study this this week was um, this this person was saying, do I need, you know, they talk about grace as being basically like more of the spirit or of God. They're like, do I need more grace in my life? Because I still feel like, sad that I'm like, am I saved? Because I still, I feel like, you know, I recognize my sins and I recognize where I'm weak and I don't know if I can overcome these things. And I see the challenges in my life and, you know, am I good enough? Am I living a godly life? And, um, and you know, his answer surprised me. He said, he said, actually what I'm hearing, he says the opposite. He said, I'm not, I'm not worried about the person that that sees the need to be better and sees, he says, the closer you come to Christ, the more you realize you need a savior and how far gone you are. So mm-hmm. I'm worried about the person on the fringes who is like, I'm okay. And, mm-hmm. and I'm a good person basically. And I, you know, I don't need to go to church, but I'm, you know, I'm religious in my own way when I'm outside on the boat, you know, or enjoying the, uh, you know, and he was saying that, no, the closer you move to Christ, the more you realize you need to change, the that, more you feel that need. And it's the, I'm like, isn't that true? That's it's the scripture what, that says, hey, whoever God loves, he chastens. Chastens. Right? Yeah. Who else thinks they need the Holy Spirit to change? Who else needs to be crying out on their knees for a Savior? That's where you come to the point that you're like, I, I need the good news of the gospel because I am struggling to overcome. Well, if you don't. If you don't care, give a rat's butt about. I'm gonna have to edit that out. Where, where are we at? Twenty six fourteen. If you don't give a, a care in the world about the Savior or about being righteous or about trying to be good, then there's no conflict, and you don't exactly. So he's saying, no, that is the grace of God working in you. See, and that's the separation. Your, that's the separation of the wicked and the righteous. Ultimately, it's the ones who realize we need a savior versus the ones who don't. That's the story of the cross, the two thieves who are both yeah. guilty of the same sin. All humanity is represented in, in them. We are one or the yeah. other thief. The one that falls down in the temple and says, I'm not worthy to be, you know, forgive me. And the other one says, I've done all of these good things. And, exactly. And yeah. that's and it's like that's if we recognize the struggle and the need, that means we're on the right path. Arthur Oakman said, and one, I think it was him, he said, the hard work is coming to Christ, but the harder work is continuing to take one step 
after the other and continuing to try to to overcome. So there's never this point of, ah, I've come to the Lord and now I have all the power to just be happy and peaceful. It's mm-hmm. it's a continual recognizing of our ugliness In, inadequacy and, and the yeah. flesh and how it's an enemy to God and the need for him to help us until you get to that point mm-hmm. that you you're so recognize his holiness you so recognize oh my gosh i can never obtain that and he's like ding that's right you yeah. need a savior <laughs> yeah yeah amen when you recognize you need a savior with everything in your body you're saved yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's what it is, and 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 we can't do that work. He has to do it, and and on, I imagine that we won't be able to imagine how magnificent that sacrifice was till we're actually with him again. I mean, in that moment where we realize, oh my gosh, he's the one who stepped out of eternity for us, for me. He didn't have to do it. So that's part of the gospel that we need to have on our heart and be ready to witness and give to other people. It's like, yeah, you're right. This this world's terrible, but do you know why? Because man stepped away from God, and God gave us a very clear picture of where we're at. We are all carnal, sensual, and devilish, and he wants to bring us back to him. And until he does, this world is going to be ugly. We are experiencing Man away from God, not man with a loving God. Yeah, and that's why, you know, for me, I don't even accept the premise of that question or statement anymore. How can a loving God do this if he's a loving blah, blah, blah? Because that's just Satan trying to twist it. The point is, God told us from the beginning, no, all these things we suffer and the, the, the injustices or cancer or whatever, it's all because mankind fell away. He said, I'm trying to save you from this, or this is your eternal destiny, but it even gets worse than this. You just don't know how bad it is once your sin is locked into an immortal body. Mm. And that's the point is that, no, all along he's been saying, this is your reality, unfortunately, because of the weakness of sinful flesh. I'm trying to prepare the way for you to get out of this. When you say the word sin, Corey, let's talk about that word because that's what happened in the very, very beginning. We're, we're back at the very beginning of the story. Yeah, so, you know, last time, our last episode, you made a really generous plug for this final prophecy, and, and I, I appreciate that. You know, people can follow our conversation online with some of these scriptures. If you go to Restore Gospel, you'll see a link to the final prophecy. You can use the PDF version, or you can use the online interactive. They both have the same uh, words and scriptures. But it, we're at the foundation and under the heading, the beginning, um, the sin is, you know, the, yeah, textbook definition is willful transgression, okay? You know, choosing to, to disobey. But the consequence of the sin, you know, it's, it's like I've told my kids through life, you know, you're, you're free to make a choice, but you're not ever free to choose the consequence of your choice, right? And that's why mm. God gives us instruction is because he's telling us your choices have consequences that you are not free to, to alter, and you will suffer if you make certain choices. So the original parents, Adam and Eve, they willfully chose to disobey. Now there's a huge, beautiful parallel in that. We'll we'll t- talk about when we talk about the symbol of man and woman in marriage. But this transgression led to their separation, and that's probably always true. Transgression leads to some kind of separation of spiritual separation from God. Uh, it could. But in this sense, all humanity was separated from God. And the biggest problem is 
and this is point number five in the outline, is that we had no power within ourselves to remedy this spiritual separation. There was nothing we could do. And that's our life right now and would be forever if there wasn't a plan of salvation. Let's read Let's read the word for those that aren't following along that are li- just listening, probably most people just listening right now. Mosiah 8.76, Thus all mankind were lost, and behold, they would have been endlessly lost, endlessly lost, were it not that God redeemed his people from their lost and fallen state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, you know, this <clears throat> is such a profound, concise summary of our situation, and also it's an excellent example of perfectly translated Hebrew. There's a, a, a future perfect tense that sometimes when the Hebrews would want to emphasize how important an event in the future is going to be, like for instance the you know death on the cross, they would act as if it's happening right now, like it's present, even though it's a future. And and notice even how this is worded. This is just a little aside. All mankind were lost. Behold, they would have been endlessly lost were it not that God redeemed. They're, they, they, they're talking about it as if it already happened or it happened just now, his people from their lost and fallen state. This is still Book of Mormon B.C. times. Jesus yeah, hasn't Old died Testament. on the cross yet. But <laughs> um, they, they, they use sometimes past tense and future tense and make it like a, a present tense, like it already happened even though it hadn't yet. And that's just that's just another underscoring of this was a Hebrew book. But well, here's a... Here's another way that if if our if our if we understand the word and it's written on our heart and we're in it every day, here's a great answer when someone and I like bringing these in because I think we all we go through these challenges and we hear these lies all the time in media. How can a loving God allow bad things to happen? And here's a great scripture that you say, well, yeah, you're right. Terrible things are happening, and the Lord, our God that created us, He told us why. Listen, He says we're all lost. And we will be endlessly lost. But the good news is this. All of this sadness, all of these bad things happening to good people, this isn't always going to be that way because we are redeemed from being this way forever. Right. If we choose to seek out this loving God, as bad as things are now, just imagine a loving God and what he has in store to make all. He says all of your tears will be wiped away. Imagine all of this sadness you're experiencing that it's not even a memory anymore because the most awesome blessing is around the corner. But the key is, is that we're lost and we have to be redeemed. Yes. And he's told us how to be redeemed. So if you don't want to be in this terrible place where bad things are happening to people, do you want to be in a place where all the tears are wiped away? Because we have to experience this in order to be there. And then there's a story of redemption, you know, see, that's just one way to open up a conversation where you let the word of God do the work, not your own intellect. Exactly. You just just need to be foundationally sound in the word of God. Yeah. That's such a great point, Mike, and, and a great scripture to illustrate that, that again, it's not like, you know, we have to tell them our story or our, the reason why we're true or all this, we just have to say, no, this is God's plan. And, yeah. and you recognize this and want to be a part of it. I, I, I really, really like how you used that and illustrated that point. It's a, it's an excellent kind of eternal point. Let the word do the work. Yeah. And sometimes it's best to agree with people. We want to argue with them right, right away. How can a loving God allow bad things to happen? You're right. That's a, that's a hard question. Thankfully, 
thankfully he's told us how mm-hmm. and he's told us why yeah. and he's explained why we're going through this. Yeah. But you're right. We're, we're seeing exactly what he told us would happen when we, when we stray from what his plan is for, for human, for men to flourish, mm-hmm. you know, sin mm-hmm. is going against God's plan for the human flourishing, you know, mm-hmm. for us to be partakers of his joy. Yeah, exactly. And so now you're on the same side, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then, they have, then they're forced to acknowledge the word rather than try to make a counterpoint. Yeah. And, and that's where, that's where you want to take people. And, you know, even at that point, you know, if someone asks that question, well, how can there be so much sin and suffering? You know, the, the book of Job is probably the ultimate answer is that here's an example of someone who, who had every blessing and had not been a person who walked in their own will or spirit. And yet things that the world would call bad all happened to him. He loses his health and his wealth and family and everything. But what he didn't lose was his integrity towards God. And that's also the other response is that, you know, God never promised anyone an easy life. He said in the end, he said, this is all going to be resolved. But the test for us in our walk is, will we lose our integrity towards God in the process or not? And that that ultimately is, you know, the effect of sin. It, it, it wants us at every point, man, I lost my job or, or I'm out of money or I've, I've got this health issue or people have betrayed me or all these things, to want to come to the conclusion, Satan's conclusion, that God, you're not real or you don't care. You know, mm-hmm. That's where that's where Satan always wants us to take it. Wants to take us to is to that point where we say in our heart, God, you don't care about me, and and that's the that's the point he's trying to reassure us of. He said, No, you're going to experience hardship in this world, and yet I want you to know I'm with you every step of the way. That's that's why I'm excited about where we're at, at just at this point in history because there's so many things available to us that allow us to get truth and the word into our minds and into our ears and our eyes and at the same time as being bombarded in so many ways by falsehoods and lies and stuff so you know if you don't have these words within you though Corey, when those things happen you forget them i mean we mm-hmm. have to constantly have this yes. before our eyes the jews used to have a, a thing written on the post of their house right yep, yep. when they would walk in and it was uh, what was it? Was it that was that the Shema or was yeah, that the... Uh, that's the prayer? The, yeah, they had it on the sides of their doorposts, and the, they they would have the commandments written, and then they would even have these phylacteries. They called it a little leather box with a scripture. They'd strap it around their head. <laughs> it'd sit on their forehead, you know, and all these reminders of the word and who we, they were supposed to be. We we may think we may think that's that's silly today, but but we would probably be well served to figure out a way to remind ourselves. Yeah. every day that we need the word that much in front of our eyes. And right. and it's not just reading it, but it's it's pondering on its eternal value and what it means. That's that's why I love reading these scriptures. Uh, yeah, some of these core foundation scriptures are, like you say, they're, they're things we need to remind ourselves of pretty much every day in a sense that it puts things in perspective. Like uh, Alma 19, that chapter gives good, concrete, eternal information about the problem we have in our fallen state. Uh, you know, verse 90 says, and these are all from the RLDS scriptures, but you can use restored gospel and look up the LDS references as well. But as the soul could never die, so our soul being eternal, this is something that is spelled out so clearly in the Book of Mormon. No other scripture states it as clearly as it is here. The fall had brought upon all mankind a spiritual death as well as temporal. So temporal meaning, 
we're going to die. Our flesh is going to die. No part of the plan of salvation was designed to keep this body alive. It was to keep us, I mean, forever. It was to sustain us during this journey, right? It ages and changes and whatnot. And there's fascinating biological facts about it that we just continue to learn. But the point was to save the soul. But the soul is the part that never dies. And as this scripture states, we were cut off from the presence of the Lord. Therefore, it was expedient that mankind should be reclaimed from this spiritual death. So so the two deaths that happened was spiritual and temporal. Adam and Eve weren't going to ever die, you know, in that state in the garden, physically or spiritually. But when sin came in, now their bodies changed to where they could die and would, and their spirits were separated from God. But it's the latter, the spiritual separation, this whole plan is designed to overcome. This, and, and so then the bodies become renewed so they can't die, and the spirit is restored to God's presence. What's that word, expedient? Therefore, it was expedient that mankind should be reclaimed from necessary? It necessary has to be uh, most important, uh, yeah. Because God's work in glory is... Yeah, there you go. So he's looking now and saying, okay, you guys cut off. It's necessary that... We, we reclaim you from your spiritual death now, and I've got a plan for that. Yeah. And so, you know, the 96th verse also states something. I, I love this word grasp. It says, and thus we see that all mankind were fallen and they were in the grasp of justice. You know, it's interesting. I was searching a Hebrew, uh, some rabbis talking, and uh, this grasp of justice term doesn't appear in the Bible. I don't believe anywhere, but they were concluding and using this very phrase, grasp of justice. And I tried to find out if it had an ancient root, but the fact that it describes our humanity's plight this way, they, all, everyone, all mankind, every person was in the grasp of justice. Justice meaning we were going to be punished for our sins. That's what the justice means in this sense. Justice had us. Mercy didn't have us. Mercy meaning being restored to God's presence. Everyone had the same problem of being cast out of God's presence. The justice of God, which consigned them forever to be cut off from his presence. That is the reality. Um, early on in this, in this section, uh, we're talking about men falling. And, you know, it says that we are enemies to God. I don't know the exact scripture reference for that. I believe it's in Genesis. Uh, maybe not. Maybe somewhere else. But because God loves us, it says in Helaman five sixty nine, it behooveth him, and it becometh expedient, here's that word again, that he dieth. He's talking about God himself, that he dieth to bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, that thereby men may be brought into the presence of the Lord. Behold, his death bringeth to pass the resurrection and redeemeth all mankind from the first death, that spiritual death for all mankind, by the fall of Adam, being cut off from the presence of the Lord or considered as dead, both as things temporal and to things spiritual. But the resurrection of Christ redeemeth mankind, even all mankind, and bringeth them back into the presence of the Lord. And it brings to pass, I love this, and this is a a phrase we need to talk about, it brings to pass the conditions of repentance, that whosoever repenteth, the same is not hewn down and cast into the fire. 
What does that mean? It brings to pass the conditions of repentance. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen for each person, but the conditions. This is this is an interesting phrase. Oh yeah, yeah. There's the conditions of repentance. I believe means the opportunity for repentance to have any effect. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing: the reason we're in the balance. Justice was, you know, the punishment on one side. Mercy was, uh, you know, God's left hand was the justice. On God's right hand was the mercy. And we're in the balance in the middle. The The only decision we can make is that change of heart. And, want, and that's what repentance means. The, it's the only way that the change of heart could have any effect, though, was that there was an atonement. The atonement had to pay the price to open the door so that whoever chooses repentance, now it can make a difference. If there was no sacrifice, you know, if God had not stepped out of eternity into time and taken on flesh, as Mosiah 8 states, and become that sacrifice, we could repent all day long. We could say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But there wasn't any payment for the sin. In other words, our our own just saying that, even feeling it sincerely, couldn't have made any difference. That's why it says, behold, the resurrection of Christ, his death, it behooveth him and becometh expedient that he dieth to make the resurrection possible first so that our repentance could make a difference. And, and this, I think we're in the midst of a chiasm here as you're talking. You are, it's, a, it's a beautiful parallel. Um, yeah, because if, if we back up, he says, hear my words, for, for this intent I've come to the walls of this city that you may know the judgments of God that you might know, and this is B.C. again, before Christ, that you may know the coming of Jesus. And here we are. There's no there's no veiled Old Testament Bible stuff going on here. This uh, is plain. this is naming. You may know the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, and that you might know of the signs of his coming to the intent that you might believe on his name. And then here we start doing this chiastic stepping, and if you believe on his name, you will repent of your sins. If you repent of your sins, you have a remission of them through, and here is the, here's the, people say the Baptist part of the Book of Mormon, through the merits of, through his merits. Exactly. Through the work of Christ, not your own work, through his merits. Exactly. And behold, I give a sign unto you, a sign of his death, for he shall surely die that salvation may come. And then we work our way back out, you know, mm-hmm. as the it behooveth him that it is expedient to die, to bring to pass resurrection, that men may be brought into his presence and redeemed from the first death and the spiritual death. Yeah, yep. And then, you but know, it's, it's just full of parallelisms. You know, I love the next couple of verses where it's, Dates things, and this is classic Hebrew parallelism. Um, it bringeth to pass the conditions of repentance that whosoever repenteth, here's here's the positive. Whoever repents, the same is not hewn down, cast in the fire. But then seventy three, but whoso repenteth not is hewn down and cast into the fire. You know, you get the contrast of repentance or repentance not, or hewn down or is not hewn down, but in the end, cast in the fire. These are... Lovely way of writing. Yeah. It's just the style, and the Book of Mormon fits it completely. Yeah, and and if you 
look at any Hebrew book on poetry, and most of them were written in the 1980s and 90s. That was the kind of heyday. No books. There was one book, literally, that they point to in the world that was written about Hebrew poetry, but it just barely skimmed the surface before Joseph Smith's day. But now that they've analyzed this in the last hundreds of years, all these structures fit into perfect Hebrew poetic forms. They'll call them like an ABC and a CBA, these different couplets and and um, cola. They call they got these different terms. All these are beautiful examples of that. It's things Joseph Smith couldn't have made up. But nevertheless, the point of it is that in a Hebrew po- poetic style, it's not that the words rhyme, it's that the ideas rhyme and that the ideas prove a point or they'll contrast a point. And once you recognize the style and the reason for writing that is to emphasize the important elements to drive it home. Um, I was reading separately uh, just yesterday in the Book of Mormon um, where it was the words of Mormon, the short little 30 or 40 verses that kind of fall in the early part of the Book of Mormon where he's making comments. And it's interesting because Mormon's writing about Benjamin and he talks about how um, there were false prophets and their mouths were shut. And as soon as I saw that, I thought this is probably in a Hebrew poem because by seeing their mouths shut, there's probably a contrast to that coming up about someone's mouth being opened. And I, and I very, very two verses later, all of a sudden it talked about, but King Benjamin preached in righteousness, you know? And so the reason I'm sharing this is because these verses uh, aren't to be taken individually. When you look at them in context, you realize these parallels and these balances are meant to teach us on a, with greater understanding the points of all these uh, eternal truths. And the way they did it and conveyed it is just beautiful. You don't have to understand the Hebrew or even know. I mean, just just reading it's going to teach you this. But, but the way they presented it to us is... I'm just realizing at this point in my life, so much deeper than anything we ever uh, could have imagined. I mean, if if this was music, these would be like Mozart symphonies. You know, these were written by the best, and and they're powerful. When, yeah. When we when we see these meanings as they're brought through the word, I think secondary uh, benefit of besides walking through this final prophecy and just the story of man and God bringing him back, also. You throw in these these things. It's it's learning how to read the word as individuals in our own time, and applying it and seeing it for what it is. Because we, we like we've said before, we have been so good at just plucking a scripture verse out of the air and using it and then running with it. When there's much more to it than that, exactly. Much more to it than that, and and. The more we talk about this, like you said, you're, here you are reading along and you know something else is coming and there it is. You start to be able to get enveloped in this style of, of writing. but um, yeah, and, and then gleaning the truth yeah. from it. You know, so this, uh, if, I, if I could share a little secret wish, um, you know, I'm excited when I go online and see YouTube videos of, of Jews in Israel who are, coming to the knowledge of Christ, oneforisrael.org, it's all one word, one for Israel, is, is a great website for that. But in my heart of hearts, I look at this and I realize when I see these people, I mean, they're sincere and they're lovely, they're beautiful, their testimony of Christ is fine. And, and I guess I should just leave it at that. But what, I've, what I long for is for them to take this word, when this word comes back to them, and this is what part of the final prophecy is that these words that we've kind of discarded from the Book of Mormon, Joseph's words, 
will return to them. And I want them to tell me about Jesus from this because this is their testimony. And they're going to see even greater, deeper things. And it's not like I'm talking, oh, I need to know more mysteries. It's just like what I feel bad about is when I hear their testimony of Jesus, I feel like it's still come from the Gentiles to them. Mm-hmm. And yet here's their testimony of Jesus that was from their own people that they didn't know about. I want them to teach me and us about the truths that we looked over and missed because we were blinded to the understanding that's already in this word, you know, presented by these people who are ancients. And like Nephi said, unless you were of the Jews and thought like the Jews, you couldn't understand the ways of the Jews. And, and, uh, there's so much truth there that I don't know. I just look for the day when this word becomes their word and they're going to teach us. Yeah. Well, we kind of touched today just on the foundation and the purpose of the gospel. And in order for the gospel to be relevant to us, we, we have to understand that we've been separated from God. We're enemies to God. When people claim there's no God because of all the badness going around, the word answers that right at the very beginning. And we can do nothing but agree with them and say, yes, there's tons of badness. And and if it wasn't for a God that came down and died for us to to make a way out of this badness, then this would not make sense. But but that's not the story. And so right, right. Re- read these scriptures and, and look at the plan. Uh, we've talked about it before, so we don't need to, to go into it right now. But instead of giving scripture references, Corey, what I've learned from you is you'll look at me and say, or I'll ask you a question and you'll say, search this, you know, the phrases. And so search opposition, you know, or if there's another word and you can read in the book of Mormon, um, all kinds of things that talk about why man fell, Adam fell that men might be men are that they might have joy, uh, opposition in all things. Is there any other word that people, if people wanted to do a further study on their own, uh, Search mercy and justice. Okay, uh, mercy, comma justice. Those will bring up verses that have them in, and realize that sometimes the truth, as you pointed out, won't be just in that verse. So read it in context, and and you'll find um, truth that is not explained anywhere else. And so mercy and justice um, parallel. That's even a word that's used a couple times in the Book of Mormon. Uh, I mean, it's the technique of the Hebrew authors, but it's even spelled out in that word. The parallels that are comparing life and death and the salvation to damnation and light versus darkness, all these parallels. Um, Once you get on that track, you'll find sometimes it's interesting. You can learn by searching opposite words too. And I'll throw one out, just search light and dark um, uh, or save and damn, you know, if you want to do that, but you'll find lots of verses where it's comparing these ideas. And when you see these, they, they teach, they bring understanding. Good, good stuff. Before we uh, move on, I think we are going to talk about mercy and justice. Hope we can do it in a way that's not redundant because I know we've talked about some of that before, but um, as an overview. But I want to, when we come back next time, talk about Adam and Eve and some of the parallels of marriage in the church. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe touch on that for for a bit next time because there's there's some things there you've pointed out that I I had not heard before and that I think are beautiful and give us a uh, insight into God's plan yeah, for, for yeah. us here. So. Can't wait. We'll talk about that. Okay. So, yeah, we're in the final prophecy, and we're going to spend some time, uh, several weeks probably going through it. But uh, on your journey, just remember we're just walking each other home. 
I love that I don't even remind you anymore. You, you don't just... have to remind me, Mike, but I'm glad that you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. Till next time, God bless. <laughs>